Hello, everyone. You have Jake and Seth talking to you today. Today, we're going to discuss George Miller's 2015, I'm attempted to say magnum opus, Mad Max Fury Road, starring Charlie's Theron, or Theron, however you want to say it, and Tom Hardy in the title role, Mad Max, and Charlie's Theron is uh, Furiosa. Yes. Imperator Furiosa. Imperator Furiosa. And it is a sequel to the Mad Max films. I'm actually, one of the questions is where exactly it falls in the chronology, but it is in the Mad Max films. And it is a reboot, really, to them. Although I think it kind of works, not necessarily a reboot, I think it can work within the existing chronology. Yeah, I've heard, I think Miller kind of talked of it both ways. You can watch it as a reboot, or you could watch it as just another story in Max's life. Mad Max has always kind of had this quality, I feel like, that's similar to Conan the Barbarian, which was a comic book, but whether basically Conan would just find himself in a situation, and it didn't matter if it went good or bad, he would just find himself in another situation, and I think Mad Max is kind of similar, where he's sort of just a wanderer of the wasteland, and he might find himself in a tough spot and have to do something, and there might be a story involved, and so it's like, I think at this point, that's like kind of the, the category of the character. I will say personally, I, as a kid, I was an enormous, enormous fan of The Road Warrior. I watched that movie over and over again. I was like semi-obsessed with it. I think it's a work of genius, even though it's kind of a goofy B-movie that was made in Australia in the 80s. But um, it basically is a... It's, it's the second Mad Max movie. The first one is very, very amateurish and hard to follow, has very thick accents. It's worth watching. I think the last 20 minutes or so of the first Mad Max movie is probably worth watching. The Road Warrior is the one that really hit in America, though. And, like, the action sequences are amazing. Um, all the stunt driving was done uh, by real stunt drivers in Australia, some of whom died in that in that Road Warrior and first Mad Max movie. Oh, wow. And they were kind of these cult movies, I want to say, in America for a long time. And they were kind of the, our entry point for Mel Gibson and his career. Um, and then in the early 90s, there was Return to Thunderdome, which was like, that was when Mad Max had been established. Tina Turner was... Tina Turner, I feel like, is a big part Tina of that. Tina Turner was involved. Matt, Mel Gibson had become a huge star at that point. Um and so it's like he kind of reunites with Miller. They do return to Thunderdome. Thunderdome's a fun movie. The first, That's a movie, though, where it's like the first 45 minutes is good and the end of it kind of sucks when they get involved with the kids. It feels like two different movies. Right. And, and, I, so, and then they're trying to do something good there, but it just doesn't work. It just is right. like a total tonal shift. Like kind of. And uh, it's also, from that point, Gibson and Miller uh, kind of go into two different directions. Gibson goes into his Braveheart, um, kind of like becomes a big time actor director combo. Uh, also gets involved in Passion of the Christ or whatever. Miller kind of starts having problems with his career. He kind of pivots into animated movies, and he makes a ton of money, ton of money on the Happy Feet movies. And then he comes back. He tries he tries to do another Mad Max. I want to say in the early two thousands, but Mel Gibson had kind of turned into another person. And so that gets delayed. It's not until 2015 that he gets this thing greenlit and he gets Tom Hardy cast in the part. Well, that's so when it came like out. Whole... I think it was greenlit in 2010. But it, it was like basically in production ever since. It was in development yeah, hell just... for like 15 to 20 years. Yeah, it was a really long time. And it was like, by the you know by the time he's making this movie, everyone's kind of like, can he still do a Mad Max movie? Like, does this guy still know how to do this? Like, he's just done some cartoons and like Babe Pig in the City and stuff. It was just like... It was. I remember thinking, I was like, I did not think it was going to go well. I was like, this is an old man trying to do like this action franchise again well, without my, Mel Gibson. My thought going into it was, 
he was in his like late seventies, early eighties. I can't remember. And I'm not, this isn't an ageism thing, but I'm thinking of, he made all these great movies before and yeah, he did like happy feet, whatever. I'm not even, that's so much different than making a big action adult blockbuster that's profitable. And I just think of the George Lucas's and Steven Spielberg's who I feel like Spielberg has had some more success, but I think they've really struggled with their storytelling to a new audience over the last 10, 15, 20 years. And here George Miller comes in and this is my favorite movie that he's ever made. And I think it's one of the smartest. It's like one of the most layered and it's also, it's not perfect. It has a couple of warts, but it's one of the, it's the most fun and ambitious and it's just, awesome like it is fun like it takes you from the yeah. second it starts to whatever it's two two and a half hour runtime and it's one of those films i just criticized some of the i think it was what movie did i just criticize once upon a time once upon a time in the west for being long and not having a lot of dialogue and this movie could be accused of the same but it's telling story through action and it's constantly yeah. telling stories really trying to show how formidable i think all of these protagonists and antagonists are yeah, I was blown away when I saw this in the theaters because I just didn't think that Miller was going to come back. <laughs> I didn't think he would come back to the level he was at at the Roadwire, and he just came back with such a strong fastball. Uh, and but yeah, just the amount of world building he's doing in such a succinct time, and then also creating characters while you're following the action. The entire plot is essentially a car chase that you're following, and um, but the, really the opening, the opening. Uh, sequence in the Citadel where Max is first brought through there and tattooed and then uh, tied up to a blood bag and he tries to escape for a little bit and you kind of see all these different rooms and you see these wet nurses and just everything going on there I thought was really well done and the, the amount of speed he does it is crazy um, and he, ta- I, yeah, he tells also so much guy, just sorry. through like with that single scene of the milk it's like a five minute scene and it just explains everything it's like he milk is this precious commodity and he has all these nursemaids and like clearly there's like some sexual slavery thing going on and it quickly establishes a Morton Joe as this awful dude. And then within a single scene, it like shows everything about this world. He has the power to release this milk and like, or water in a second. And it's like, it's all barren. He controls everything with literally a flick of a switch. And it's this very feudal, feudal setup, but with like a very modern economic understanding of how it works. So that was my takeaway. I, which I, I just, I'm going on too long. I really liked it. No. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of like social commentary happening where it's like, this guy can turn on the faucet to the water for these people for only so long. And you know, they're in this barren wasteland where there doesn't appear to be water anymore. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting to, cause it's like, I, you know, the whole metaphor in the Mad Max franchise is sort of like, we're already living in the wasteland. We just kind of don't realize it. We're in like and, a moral wasteland. Yeah, exactly. And, um, so I don't, yeah, I'm, I don't know if we want to dive into the characters or if you I, want to. I say we just start with a Morton Joe. Cause I feel like he also like describes the setting. That's, that's the way I look at it. Like Morton Joe, the Citadel. That's the perfect place to start. That's where the movie starts. And we did the intro to Mad Max. This is Mad Max. And it introduces you to the Morton Joe. And what I love most about this film is I think it does the, maybe it doesn't go the deepest, but it does the best job of coloring this world. Um, 
in Mad Max, you're seeing like the glimpse, like of what happens, like as society is crumbling on the edges. In yeah. Road Warrior, you're seeing this one city, like it, you're you're getting kind of a different view, but it's like on it seems on a much smaller scale. It's like this one. Road Warrior is the one where it's like this is officially like a wasteland, and there's no more society or governments anymore. Exactly. Like, and I feel like you get the good society in that one with the people who he's trying to help. And then the next one you have yeah. Thunderdome, which is like, it's fallen even worse. Now this is what society's come, <laughs> become. But what I like in this one is you get to kind of see the, it's where I'm going with this is it's one thing to say it's an apocalyptic wasteland and it's another to show it in a way that's new and imaginative. And like what I'm saying about that is it's horrifying. You see this monster and like, He's, we will get into his the symbolism of Immortal Joe or the, the symbol of Immortal Joe in a second. But it's just, what does that look like? And it's you see all these dumb, young, tattooed, hyped up. Like, all the young men are dumb and, like, just used as, like, blunt tools. And that's all they are. And you see the women being used for what they are, which is their sexual right. reproduction organs. And it's you see the two sexes reduced to their basis impulses. And not even impulses, their worst, like what you would do ask for the most sexist definition of either sex and like what they're good for. And that's what they're put to in this. It's like the complete degradation in my opinion. And it's for you. It's for who the ruling class and who's the ruling class. Yeah. There's also a lot, you know, when they say like, who's to blame for why the world died, it's like, it's men. like they're clearly casting the blame at men when they're talking about some of these things in the movie. Well, one of my favorite things about hero culture in general, and I think Mad Max kind of casts it on this, and um, the one thing I, my wife is Jewish, and one of the things just that I heard in some of, I don't know if sermon's the right word, but just the idea in the Jewish culture, it's like, it's not about waiting for a hero, it's like the idea that the community needs to do things. And I think in a real world, that's how real positive change, there aren't like, yeah, there was George Washington, but there was also 2 million people behind him. Like, the idea that in the real world, for real change, for real positive to come about, you need more than one person. And the idea where I'm going with that is just the idea of, like, when you myth- when you look for a hero, that's what everyone waits for. And so people don't act because they expect the hero to act in their stead, whereas when you're focused on a community and a community acting, it can be more beneficial because then people will actually be proactive as opposed to waiting for a hero that's not going to arrive. But the, one of the things I also like about uh, a Morton Joe and the way he builds the characters is like, you know, he almost has like this Darth Vader kind of costume and breathing outfit that he puts on that you immediately identify with. But then you also, um, it's like, he's got his own car. It's like that souped up car with like the giant wheels that can go over rocks and stuff. And it's like, it's very distinct from the other vehicles. I like I like how like you know everyone has a very distinct car to kind of like also go with their character and stuff. Well, that's a huge part of the storytelling too. Like with Furiosa and even Max at the beginning, like the yeah. cars personalize the vehicles. Yeah, the interceptor. Everything. I've always been a. I mean, the V eight interceptor. I could go on and on. People in the eighties used to be like, "Hey, how do I get?" You know, they used to think you could buy that car in Australia or something. The V eight <laughs> interceptor. Um, I, oh yeah, one more thing about a Morton Joe. I was just gonna say is I like all the cookies in the movie too. That if you're familiar with the Mad Max franchise and the world and stuff, that actor is the original bad guy from Mad Max One, Toe Cutter. Um, he's obviously changed in appearance a lot, but I think there's a lot of things in the movie too. Um, is that supposed to be Toe Cutter, the same character, or is it just the actor? 
No, Toe Cutter dies in Mad oh, Max, yeah, okay. so it's hard to it's hard to say that it's like actually Toe Cutter. But I just think it's cool that it's like there's all these links he does to the other movies. Well, you know that midget character that kind of looks through the yeah thing is very similar to a character in Thunderdome, uh, Master Blaster. Yeah. Um, there's just a lot of and like like we said, the V8 Interceptor. That's the car that Max drove when he was a cop, and then he drove it in the wasteland through the road wire and stuff. And it's kind of like kind of known as the best car in the wasteland. I want to say as long as you have enough gasoline to get it to go. Oh, I love how you said gasoline. Like a that's what they, yeah. I li- I like all the Australian uh, slang they use. I was actually when they when they blew up the Interceptor in the at, towards the end of Fury Road. I was very sad. I was like, I can't. I thought that car was going to make it through the movie. I was heartbroken they blew up the Interceptor. I think it's a good time to pivot to Mad Max as a character. Although the one thing I will say is they're definitely, uh, they're, and I I don't think it's a, we talk about being inspired by or like derivative. I think this is a great uh, salute to the Darth Vader character. Because they, and one of the differences here is they quickly establish a Morton Joe as like some type of, he's been maimed and mutilated, but through this like device, so what I liked about it was instead of they kind of inverse it, they quickly introduce him as being physically somewhat wounded, and it was where as in Star Wars, Vader uses like robotics and the Force to kind of compensate, and this one he uses his political and oratory power and his intelligence. Because other than him, you other than him, although he is also deformed you see in this like high society, people are either really dumb and like physically strong or physically deformed and smart. And Amora right. Joe through his, he's kind of like, even though he's also deformed has the best blend of them because he has, his, it's like to come up with the whole sort of belief system with the, you know, entering the gates of Valhalla, you, you know, he'll have these war boys sacrifice themselves and they all believe that they'll die. They'll live again. They'll be reincarnated because they're doing it for him. They'll be immortal just like he is. It's a, it's a, it's a, actually a very intricate like little belief system. He's he's like kind of pumping into these people. Well, what's funny too is I thought that was beauty about the beautiful about that was that beautiful might be a, a strong word. It's so familiar, and you can see how it draws on all these things liberally. The uh, Valhalla, that's Norse religions. There's right. um, rebirth, which is in everything. But I'm thinking of like uh, Buddhism and Dharma. Oh, you'll be reborn into a higher level than you were before. Yeah. And, and the, then the just all the nightly stuff like honor. Yeah. The idea of self-sacrifice is very Christian. It's yeah. like he kind of blends it all together. Yeah. Community, like that's in any religion, but also like there's tons of stuff that like it's it's really a clever and that's one of the things about a Morton Joe. And also the one thing I'll say, say what you want about the guy, he's leading his troops at the front. He's at like the tip of the spear for a lot of it. I'm just saying, you don't see that for every hero or every hero or villain. But there's a lot of, de- I mean, you know what, there's a, there's actually a lot of symbolism in the movie too. There's that scene where uh, Max washes the blood of his foes off with mother's milk. And it's like, I mean, it's it's almost a little too layered to really dissect it all. But it's like, there's definitely times where the movie uh, pre- presents a symbol to the viewer. And it's, uh, it's interesting stuff. All right, this is a little out of order, but because you brought it up, I think it's a good theme we should jump into. So we're going a little out of order here, but I want to throw a quick question in. Because this is something that I occurred to me. The idea of mother's milk somehow washing away the blood of men. I definitely think, especially with the Nicholas Holt character, there's this idea of just being exposed to like a good, powerful woman can have an incredible effect on a guy. Because Nicholas Holt, or the power, the healing power of a woman's love or beauty, whatever you want to say. Um, because Nicholas Holt's character goes from being one of the most devout and he fails, and that one of the things too is also you see in 
any movie or from what I've read and seen these documentaries about cults, it's once things go bad and there's failure and you have a certain expectation and it's just sometimes that's what it takes to kind of break the mold when you realize the worst can happen and that like you might I think that um, you might die for something stupid or that sounds weird but uh, I'll throw it to you. I think Holt's storyline's an interesting one. I have one sort of minor gripe with him. Um, I think to go back to the symbol of the mother's milk and the blood, like I think in that scene where Max is washing the blood of uh, his enemies off with mother's milk, I think that quite literally is sort of saying, you can sin or you can kill and you will be forgiven by your mother or by a higher power, basically, as long as it's for the right reasons, if it's for a moral reason, sort of. And so Max is obviously... We can get into the ethos of Max later. He's clearly like this anti-hero that does good things and bad things. But I think in that instance, he's sort of he's realizing he's doing something for the betterment of these people, and then he sort of washes the blood off his face. And it's like you, you'll be forgiven for these deeds because <laughs> you know you're doing the right thing here. Is that's my read, I guess, on that specific one. The Holt character, I do think, is really interesting, and um, I, I like that whole, the whole arc of his character where he's this. He's this true to the bone uh, war boy. Totally believes in, in Morton Joe. Believes if he dies, he'll live again. Believes if he, you know, sacrifices himself the right way, he'll he'll be remembered by Morton Joe. And then uh, the problem I kind of had though was at one point, he, and Morton Joe tells him to jump onto this van or whatever to go after the breeders to get get his breeders back. And he makes the jump, but then he slips, and then Joe's like, ah weak no and mediocre like, which is my mediocre, favorite right. insult mediocre. of all time that by the way that got a laugh in the theater so that i was i like, laughed at it too it's kind of funny but then it's like that's what really breaks. it's like that one thing breaks his entire this kid's entire belief structure and just kind of sends him into despair but it Did makes sense the, it's like because i guess so he's effectively in a cult so we can talk about the morality of people all the time. The morality, to me, morality comes down to a balance between selfishness and unselfishness. You need to be X amount of selfishness to basically be a functioning human, and you want to be unselfish enough to be like a good citizen. That's a total oversimplification. But in cults, you're sacrificing all of your selfishness for the betterment of one person, and that's where like once he yeah. fails, his life's over. He's excommunicated or he's dead it takes that like total loss to realize and get that self, good selfishness back and be like, fuck a Morton Joe. Like, why do I give a shit about him? And one of the things you talked about, and now that we're on Holt, when you said it, I realized he wanted to die and be remembered for a sacrifice, like a warrior in Valhalla and the Vikings. And he ends up getting that, but he doesn't die for a Morton Joe who didn't know his name. Right. He no, died he for the women who right. loved him or who liked him and, mourned his loss and he'll be remembered by whatever society whether they name their sons after him or warriors like you know he'll be remembered by the survivors that, that's my favorite part of his storyline and his story arc because it's like he sort of takes the cult's idea of a morning joe and then he turns it and he, he saves these other people and now he will be remembered probably like you were saying he'll, he will be remembered by that these people that start the new society at the citadel because he's really the one that made it possible for them and so it's like I th- I really like I like the writing of that character a lot I guess and I you know I think he's a decent actor I just found the part where it's like mediocre and it broke him <laughs> I don't know I was just like oh that was all it took I just thought it was so funny and now that we talked about it I'm kind of talking I one of the things that occurred to me was that the idea of like bloodshed can be both like corruptive and 
redemption redemptive and it's like when you're spilling your own for others it's redemptive when you're killing other right. people and obviously even in that i see the hypocrisy these guys aren't just dying they're killing dozens of other people as they're spilling their own like nicholas holt kills other people he doesn't just die like take a bullet and dies like and i think you're right i think it's kind of necessarily drawing upon that i think there's a gray area that doesn't always fit in with morality tales, but really is where most of violence occurs in, in life. And I'm just talking about warfare in general. There have been some, there have been some noble wars and righteous war and justified wars, but like a lot of warfare, especially like just generally has usually been for like the wrong reasons. And it, I guess where I'm going with this is just the idea. People, in warfare, you can make the uh, the argument in some wars that there's two rights and two wrongs. There's good guys and bad guys on both sides. There might like, and I think what what I'm taking away from this is that for guys like Max and the Nicholas Holt character, and even uh, Furiosa, they've done things. They've done bad things in the past. They're in a position now to help people who wouldn't otherwise be able to help themselves. And it's the idea that, no, does it wipe your ledger clean? Absolutely not. But is the opportunity to maybe do a little good? Can that little light, like, brighten up all your darkness? I don't think the movie answers that, but I think it's just that idea of, can yeah. you do the wrong thing for the right reason, and, and can that be good? And I, I just love like, those type honestly, of questions. Go, and it's like, I actually think, the not to compare them too much, but I think The Road Warrior is the best movie at, portraying what you were talking about right there because that's the movie where you really realize max was a killer in the first movie you see him murder these people so then in the second movie he's kind of put in this position where he can help this town or kind of like just go off on his own into the wasteland again and it's like those are the decisions that really build morale and character and integrity and all those kind of things that we talk about with characters and it's like i think in this movie I mean, we can get into the. I mean, we talked about Nicholas Holt, but I think in this movie, actually, it's Charlize Theron that's kind of a little bit more in that position. I find the Max character to be more of the supportive character, I guess. Um, so, I had the exact same note. Okay, I dude, we are, we're vibing right now. Sorry, sorry, cool. audience, we're vibing. Okay, I'm sorry, didn't mean to cut you off. No, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's um. I guess to me, it's like the the first Mad Max trilogy that George Miller did. It's clear that Max is the central guy in all those movies. I mean, they're named after him. He's the one who's who's put in these very tough uh, mor morale decisions that he has to make in all the movies. And it's like in this one, he, it's like he's kind of in that position, but he's also pretty much forced into his position without any any choice whatsoever. And it seems like Theron's the one who's making decisions and plans, and you know figuring out the next move and stuff. I, I guess at the midway point when, uh, when Hardy or when Max suggests that they go back to the Citadel, that's when I kind of feel like he's making a decision there. But at the same time, it's like, I actually don't think that at that point, the character would have made that decision. I think Max would have rode off on his own and just kind of let those people do whatever. I disagree. Well, well, I'm trying to get into some gripes. Sorry. I just disagree. Though. The only thing I disagree there is the Max we know is a noble character. And I think the one thing, the flashing of the girl to me was to show that I think he'd done that. My takeaway was that he's turned his back on other people. And that was, was why the girl kept flashing, whether it was his daughter. We never really get, I assumed it was his daughter, but my takeaway was that he's turned his back on at least someone else before Furiosa. 
and the idea that maybe he could kind of do something there. The one thing I wanted to talk about, though, and you you kind of, first of all, we got to talk about Furiosa. We talked about another Western recently and kind of the idea of like the good guns and bad guns and the idea that maybe they're not that different, but the idea of like the type of guy or hero who stays and the type of hero who leaves. Mad Max is the hero who leaves and he's great, but you can't build anything around him. Like that's not someone that that's, that's excuse my parlance. That's the guy you want to, you want to boink. You don't want to marry. And then Furiosa, (laughs) I know she's not a guy, but Furiosa is the hero who stays. She was high. She was a woman. She was a minority who had risen up high in the society. And they quickly established her rebellion. She was a wife. Her whole backstory is she was a wife who uh, was infertile. So she was raped by Morton Joe. Yet, uh, and I'm assuming that's a bad fate for most of those women. Yet somehow she rises up to drive the war hog or whatever the hell they call it. And she, even though she's risen up high in the society, sacrifices everything to save these women. And what I assume, it's not just saving them. It seems like maybe crippling his empire or it seems to have a, a bigger it's effect than just stealing this woman. Crippling the bloodline for sure. Because uh, it's like he's got a couple sons, one's that big dude. Um, but it's clear that he's tra- like the, the most valuable thing to him is the, is the, uh, is the baby. Yeah, is the legacy and the babies and having more sons. Um, so uh, uh, yeah, it's like she she kind of makes this choice that she's going to save these people, take them out to this old society where she's from, uh, which is also kind of a fun scene. I, I like the part, the bait part where they have the naked woman up there, and uh, Bad Max is like, "That's bait, don't go near that." But then she Imperiosa goes out there and calls these people out. My one little gripe with this part. It kind of reminds me of the Thunderdome part sequence with the little kids. And uh, it's kind of like, so you're telling me all these old women, and there's only old women, there's no men out there, they all have this little tribe, and there's like, there doesn't seem to be any water or food anywhere, but they got a bag of tree seeds and stuff, and they're like surviving out here? I, I wish, I wanted a little more background with that group in terms of just like, how are you surviving with old women? And no food or water. <laughs> I agree, I agree because it wasn't like they had a trap that was like yeah the naked woman, but they didn't have a, it wasn't particularly clever. And I'm I, guessing they were more nomadic, I guess. But Imperiosa knew where to go, so it's like that was the spot. My similar problem with that was that they were all. I imagine a lot of bad people came there if they knew about it, and that no one else had gotten these ladies before. I, don't, I think they try to establish that they're like these old women are really good at defense and shooting and stuff. And I was like, okay, I guess that you can. I'll buy that they're good at shooting their rifles. But like, if they were really attacked by like one of you know Bullet Town or whatever you know Gasoline Town, it's like would they survive that? <laughs> it's really. I didn't want to call it red herring. I'm sure you know the function for it. It was really. It was just a head fake. They wanted you to think that would be like. It was that, that, that was where that was where we movie. thought the movie was going to end, and, and then so it was really just to set everything up. I, I didn't particularly yeah. think they were a great addition to the story. I don't have; they're not like a gripe, but they weren't really an add-on. You, it's basically more heroes to die for the big finale, at right? The end. And what frustrated me, I guess, was that it, like I found uh, Bullet Farm and Gasoline Town like interesting that there were like these other towns around me the Citadel. And stuff. Too, I thought we were going to see them. I thought we were going to have to like drive yeah. by them or something. I thought that would have yeah. been better. 
And I was like, oh, that's cool that he's like incorporating that. So then when I thought they got to this other place, I was like, it'd be cool to see what this society is. And then it's like, oh, it's old lady town with guns. And I was like, no, this should be like a more realistic, like little society or outpost or something. Well, it would have been cool. Okay, I'm not going to rewrite it here. And this would be maybe a little too derivative. But in Sin City, there's old town where the women rule. Like maybe there's yeah. a city where they, oh, they're only... They just had women. I'm sorry, this sounds awful. But like, if you've seen, That's it would make sense. Is that like, the, they were using the old yeah. they had were their bodies, but they sold it, and that made them rich, and that that made them compete with Gasoline Town and Gun City or whatever the hell it was. I would have been like, I'm fine with them kind of doing this, like, oh, this is like just like a woman's kind of town or something. But then it's like, show me something where they have like, you know, they should be in like a cave with real defenses, or they should, you know, have like a walled off prison or something where they're all living. Where was like, their water and food? Just that, yeah, like, where, like how like, are they surviving? <laughs> out there even as a band of people although one of my favorite things was the like go through the swamp and there's these people that look like birds they've got like old plague masks on and they're like walking around on stealth that was one of just the coolest images um the, the one, then, yeah there's a, I'm a, like we're getting yeah this was just one of my minor but like, it the, was hard for, i kept like coming back to it. i was just like they just should have done that better but the, i mean he's trying to do that part quick i guess and so and you're right they're just trying to add people to kill on the right they add people to kill the reason i like is to me only because i i totally hear your gripes totally fair what i love though is that to me what it does is the moral there is like oh shit like we banked it all in this fucking dream and it was like, that didn't work out. Like, okay, okay, I'll make it political. Okay, Snowflake, the, it's not going to work that way. And it's like, okay, what are we going to do? It's like, well, there's a problem and we need to go right at it. And if yeah. they just turn around, they're completely like, and the only thing they have going for them is that they have the element of surprise and they just go right at it. And yeah. it's like cliche, but the best thing about this movie is that it's not that it, there's a lot of layers and depth as we talked about. It's not necessarily totally innovative but it just does things very well and it's like this is a traditional like we're gonna turn it to face our problem and just go right fucking through it i was gonna say one of the things i like the most is that it's not a movie that's trying to outsmart you like it is very layered and it has a lot of social commentary but it's not like the plot's trying to outsmart you or they're trying to do anything tricky with any of the characters everything's very straightforward all you have to do is follow the plot. It's not that hard of it. Yeah, it's like, I like movies that are simplistic that way, but also still contain the layers about society and everything. This is, I think this is the best type of smart. This isn't a, this isn't the type of movie I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, walk it back. I could tell the rabbit hole is going down there. What I like about this movie is it's smart. You don't realize it the first time, but each time you rewatch it, you're picking up more and more and you're realizing that this is a really fun, straightforward action movie like, it's got the plot of Taken, basically, like a little, like in a post-apocalyptic sci-fi world. Oh, people have been taken, we need to go rescue them. Okay. Uh, and then the I also other, think Snowpiercer is another, like, uh, apt comparison. Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> and then it's also, you can look at it from, like, a social standpoint, and then from there, you can just go deeper and deeper. And to your point, as a fan, there's probably tons of stuff you can pick up on that are resonant from the previous movie. Yeah, that, I was definitely, every time I've watched this, I'm like, oh, this is from that movie, this is from Thunderdome, this is from Rogue One. Like, there are all these little cookies in there. So, for Furiosa, I just had to spend a few more seconds on her. I really liked, I liked her. To me, I thought she was the main character, the movie's hers. And I think at one point it was even called Furiosa, Imperator Furiosa, but for marketing reasons, they chose Mad Max. And all I'll say is that's a smart move because 
it works. My interpretation is that she's the main character. Mad Max is like the commercial vehicle, but he's the supporting character in this. And for me, I think it, he works so much better as a supporting character. And you talked about the first three movies. He is the main, but he, in the Road Warrior, he's one of three parts. You have like the, the crazy bandits, and you, have a, yep. you get a lot of their point of view through their leader. You have the yep. villagers, you get tons of their point of view, the Pharaoh Boy and Mad Max. So to yep. me, he's more of a supporting character than that. And I think he works better as a supporting character. So you Oh, I should mention real quick, there's one theory that this is actually this is the feral boy grown up into the new Max. There's also that theory. Oh, I've heard that. I kinda like that. And <laughs> that would no. also make sense given his like like there is something a little more like I feel like erratic to him than some of the other Mel Gibson performances. Well, Okay. Do you wanna uh, do you wanna talk about uh, should I talk about Max or Furiosa? Wait, let's let's focus on Furiosa. Switch to Max and then so, we'll... yeah. I think for Theron this was a really good part for her, just because like you know I remember she tried to do that Aeon Flux movie at one point and it was a total whip for like an action movie, but I think she really hit well on this one and she plays well too. I like she doesn't. Um, no, it's funny because like she kind of actually plays her character similar to Max, where she doesn't overact in anything, and she's the one that acts very um, experienced and like she's been through it before and she knows what to do next. And um, it's I, I liked how much of her character you draw just from her looks and the way she acts, and it's like there's really not a lot said about her. Honestly, it's more just like you watch her, you watch her reacting to situations, and you're like, oh, this is the person to trust. She makes like a single look. And it just tells, it's like a full 60 seconds worth of dialogue. She'll look at Max and she's like, she's like, I fucking hate you, you man. Like, I've right. seen, like, I've fought and killed a hundred of you. Like, what? what's your fucking right. deal? Get or, out of yeah, my way. Yeah, even, like, you know, the way she works the kill switches on the car, She was. it was clear she was really comfortable with that car and the vehicle and just, like, operating everything. So, I'm just Captain Obvious over here. She's great. I love her. I think she's an incredible actress. I think she's a great action actress. And one of the things that I really love about this film and that upon rewatch stood out, she is such a great physical presence and it's so hard. And I just think about the racing scenes and we watched some racing movies recently and you feel her like, I don't know if it's the editing, the direction, the music, the acting, it's probably a combination of all the above, but her in that car, it's when she's working the rig, like you feel, I feel like I'm in the car. I love it. To me, it's so much fun. One of the techniques I love that Miller uses, the, the director, George Miller, um, and he, he's used this in all three, I mean, all of the Mad Max movies, and I love that he still uses the technique, even though he's making modern movies now, but it's like, it's he starts from outside the vehicle looking directly at the driver, and then as he zooms in, he also fast-forwards the film, and it creates this crazy effect where it feels like a super zoom-in, and I've, there's like a bunch of these images where it's like, that's the first shot you get a Max on the car where he's got the blood bag mask on and everything. And you get a shot of Furiosa like that, too, where it's like you feel like you're crashing through the windshield the way he's editing the movie and stuff. It's so much fun. I, I really yeah, talking like about that. the action. Or, I'm sorry. I was going to talk about uh, Max, but then maybe we could talk about the action sequences a little bit. Let, let's t- let's jump on Max and then just jump right into the action, because I sure. feel like that's the na- after that. We've talked about it more than Joe. We've talked. Let's go to the action. We can wrap. Then we'll go to the wives later. All right. So with Max, um, I actually think Tom Hardy's okay in his performance okay to good i guess is where i would rate him i think the writing's a little it's like like we said 
it's really Theron that gets to be kind of the main role. And so I kind of wish the writing was a little bit different for Max, just because it's like, that's the character that I really, um, I don't know, is beloved and I identify with and like I want to know more about and stuff. But um, in comparison to Gibson, I think Gibson is actually unbelievably good as Mad Max. I think it's his signature role. I think it's like one of his defining things. I think the thing that Mel Gibson's best at is portraying rage and madness. And that's one of the key things about Max. When he actually gets mad, you have to really portray the madness and the rage that he has in this, in this land that has no rules or morals or anything. And it's like, uh, so it's like, to me, I think Mel Gibson's still, for me, he's still the signature Mad Max. I'm happy that Hardy did the role. I'm, I'm at, like, I think he's a good replacement. I don't think I wouldn't want to watch Mel Gibson do it now or try to do it now. Like, I think it's a young man's game, but, um, Oh, it's like overall, I kind of I felt myself pining for the Road Warrior Mad Max, even though I really enjoyed the movie. Quick uh, side note: Do you know what's going to break your heart? You probably probably already know this. Heath Ledger was originally considered for the role. Oh, that's brutal. And that I, would be interesting to watch. I think that I think he would have brought something that was a little more akin to what we saw in Gibson, and I think he would have elevated it enough. With all that being said, I loved Hardy. I think he's great in it. I think. One of the things I really love about these type of action heroes, maybe love something, what I connect with them, it's bringing across the vulnerability. It's being able to be vulnerable and strong or fierce or whatever you want to say. And I think it's something that he does really well. I still think it's Gibson's role, but I think Hardy, I'm glad Hardy did it. And I think this is the type of performance where to Hardy's credit, it's good enough where it's going to lead to more in the future. Whereas if he'd really bombed, I think people would be like, ah, only Gibson can do it. Yeah. And, and I think I think he did well enough where I still want to see another movie with him. And I think he might get it. And I think if you're going to do one, you should do it. But also, so what, to your point, I think he was betrayed by not having a lot to do. So sometimes he kind of overdid it with what he had. And there's might be yeah. a little overacting. But generally, he's doing he, – he checks all the boxes and he's bringing enough, especially in some of the action scenes. Like, he – He's talking with his face. He's getting a lot with his face and yelling. And I think sometimes he's overcompensating. Gibson, I think, can kind of convey a lot with the eyes. And I think that's what really separates great performances. Like the eyes, I'm the more and more I'm coming back to are really I think can add so much. And Hardy Gibson is as good as he is. When, when Gibson's crazy, you can just see it through to his core. It's it's a it's an insane look he gets. We're talking about Gibson, Sandler. Then not every yeah. actor has to have it. There's other ways to compensate. And I think Hardy is working on. I think Hardy is working to a point where he won't be able to need to need to have that, whether it's inherent or whatever. But he's not there yet. This sounds really critical. Hardy did like a B plus A minus job where it was. I'm really impressed. I'm glad he did it. Gibson, to your point, I think it's still Gibson's role. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a it's just it's one of those things where it's like it, it's always going to be kind of Gibson's breakout role, and like he'll always kind of have that signature thing to it. But I, I agree with you. I think Hardy did a good enough job that I'm I'm happy to watch him do it again in future movies. What I've actually heard is that there's two prequels planned, and one is based up around Mad Max, and one's based around Furiosa, and then there's going to be a third movie where they're like after this one or something. I've heard the sequels in Furioso or whether it's a prequel. I've heard that movie has been ready to go. It's just so sad. Like understanding that I knew it took this movie a long time to get made, but it did so well. And that now it's yeah, like five years. It's taking so long. Yeah. I know that Theron and Hardy didn't really get along, but uh, 
if you're going to make a sequel, you can make it that they have like two roles, have it build to their meeting at the end, so they don't have to be in the same room for the for, for the movie. Yeah. Like, there's ways. It to sounded, do it. yeah, it sounded like Hardy didn't trust what was happening on the set, and then when he saw the movie, he kind of like realized. That's actually all right. Should we get into the backstories now? Have we talked? We talked about Max. We talked about Fury. Oh, I was so. just gonna say the uh, about the action sequences really. Quick. Oh yes, let's yes yes. I really, I really, I remember being knocked out by the opening chase. Sort of, it's like it, the whole thing's a chase, but the opening chase sequence basically starts with uh, Furiosa turning off her original path to get gas, going into the sandstorm, and everyone from the Citadel chasing her. I think that's a great sequence. It ends really cool with the sandstorm and everything. But then, when, I remember when I saw the movie in theaters, I was like, "Well, that's going to be the top action sequence. They're not going to top that." And then I remember on the ride back, when they turn around, they come back, and they have this sequence where it's like the guys on the poles that are tilting up and down, and there's explosions in the background, and it's just an unbelievable action sequence. That second one, when they come back into the Citadel, is just maybe one of my favorite action sequences like in a long time, honestly, when I was re-watching it. I was like, really blown away with some of the stunts, mostly because you know there are all real stuntmen and a lot of real cars out there. It's not a lot of CGI and it's crazy long action sequences. I mean, there's not much more to ask for. I watched some of the making of, like, on, like, Entertainment Tonight and Access, like, all those things. And, like, so going into it, I would you they showed all these crazy souped-up cars. And we've talked about how they told, like, driving down. And it was cool, but it's, like, you see glimpses of it. And then seeing it come together in these, like, 10, 15-minute chase scenes. Yeah. I've talked about Dark Knight a lot and how much I love that chase scene. And I thought that was kind of like an all timer for me, and it is. Like I saw French Connection. French Connection's good, and I understand at the time it was iconic, but it doesn't. I've got a lot of others I like. To me, this is like one of my iconic. They have a couple iconic ones. The first one, the Sandstorm's great, and I actually heard I had like read a detailed review of the uh, fight Mad Max and Inferiosa have to begin because it was uh it was part of their Comic Con showing. And it sounded really cool, and it was really well-received at all those shows and early things, and especially at Comic-Con, and that was a highlight. And it was cool to watch the movie, and like to your point, you're like 30, 45 minutes in, and you're like, wow, that feels like the highlight or point, like the high point of the movie, and then you have another hour and a half, and you realize, like, no, shit, there's tons more action. It's, it's, it's like Batman. Like, you think the movie's culminating yeah. halfway through. That, yeah, that realization like, no. when, they, when they were coming back to the Citadel, and I was like, oh, this chase scene's going to be better than the first one. That was really, like, mind-blowing to me. It's cool to raise the stakes twice in your own movie. Like, on an yeah. action scene or what to the audience expects. And the more now thinking about it, I feel like that's something that a lot of the best movies, movies we talk about, do. They they raise, they set they set a peak early, and it's like, oh, I didn't expect that, and then it's like, oh, they did it again. Yeah, 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 totally. Yeah, and it's like that one. It, it ends well too with the kid uh, Nicholas Holt, like we said, sacrificing himself in the opposite way that Morton Joe wanted, and then it's like he's the one that lets these people take over the Citadel. Although, uh, yeah, another little minor gripe. They kind of get, you know, Charlie's there and these people get on that elevator to go up to the Citadel. And it's like, you don't really see him deal with all the war boys up there or talk to anybody who might be in charge up there. You're just kind of assuming that they uh, take control of everything. Or this is, these are the things I would say against it. And I think that's a totally fair critique and, and comment and criticism. And I think that is 
there could probably be a whole hour on that. Like you could make this in a, <laughs> first of all, this could be an easy six to eight episode Netflix show. And I think they can make it great. Uh, like story wise, but you could really expand the story. Yeah. Easily. You could go in so many directions. You could give each of the brides. We haven't really talked about yet. We're all great actresses too. Also all this kind of started the career for some of these actresses yeah. and really like gone on to bigger things. And I think they all will go on to great things. But the um, oh, I kind of lost my tra- train of thought. There. Well, no, it's like yeah, you could go. There could be backstories on the brides. There'd be backstories on these other towns. The guys that run these other towns. Like there were other interesting characters you could have gone deeper on. There's a lot there. There, there's definitely meat on the bone. Oh, what we were you were talking about gripes? Uh, I was going to counter something. It was um, oh about them going up to the citadel to like run. Oh, so the, those are the two yeah. things I was going to say, and I, I kind of I should have made this clearer earlier. It was kind of my question about the Nicholas Holt character, where how he just needs a little exposure to these powerful, beautiful women, like to to be broken of this mind thing. And one of the things I was thinking was that I doubt the boys saw a lot of women, and that oh yeah, and that I'm assuming they probably didn't get to see them. And so one, I I imagine that seeing those brides would have an effect, a similar effect that it had on the Nicholas Holt character, that it somewhat s- tendered them. They seem to be pretty heavily brainwashed. I doubt Morton Joe is brainwashing them to hate women. And it just like naturally they were attracted. You could tell that they had a very profound effect by their mere right. presence on uh, the Holt character. I imagine would have a similar one. And two, in addition to that, you could tell in Furiosa, people couldn't believe Furiosa turned on Joe, which to me... Well, yeah, showed... they couldn't believe that Joe was dead. They, like, ripped his body apart. Well, that was the other thing. She killed Joe. And just, like, in yeah. the beginning, they couldn't believe she she did it. And I think the fact that she killed him proved that not only... there was... The sense that I got, it wasn't like, oh, Furiosa did it. I hate her. It was the idea, Furiosa did it. Can you believe it? So yeah. it, to, then it was you found out she killed Morton Joe. And if their whole belief system's built on him being immortal and you find out he is dead, like what will that do? And the last thing I'm going to say is in any corrupt society, there's the general belief that the, the regular people will rise up at the first opportunity in an ideal world. And I think that's what we're supposed to believe too. It's that like, and you look at the guy, it's like a short guy who looks disfigured. Like you imagine these people, Amorton Joe didn't seem like a swell guy, and I kind of took it that they would rather be ruled by Furiosa than Amorton Joe. I th- yeah, I think that's true. I think you have to, yeah, it's like you kind of have to infer all that stuff. That's a lot of like, inferral. That's three minutes yeah. of inferral. I'm looking at it, so I, I totally like I agree with. The, I, yeah, it's like I agree with all the inferring, and maybe that's to Miller's credit that it's like you can still kind of figure it out. And I do think like there's enough people there that like anyone who's lasted from the big car chase uh, who might still be on a Morton Joe's side, like would have to deal with a lot of people who are now getting fresh water and stuff. And like, it seems like Furiosa would have her own group ready to go for. Well, that's the thing. All Furiosa has to do is turn on the water and like, Oh yeah, they only closed the way. If she turns on the water for, I'm assuming a day, those people will be loyal to her forever. And And also they have all the seeds from the old ladies. So they're clearly going to plant those seeds up there and stuff. Do you know what would be a really interesting thing? And I, there wasn't room for it in this movie, but if they did make a second, what if you find out there really wasn't enough water and a Morton Joe wasn't as evil as we thought, like he was doing the best he could. Like if that really, 
thing. I heard that there's a whole comic book backstory for Morton Joe and like how he came to power. I don't I don't know if it's good or bad. <laughs> I haven't read it. I'm uh well, I guess I meant I don't know if like he was a good or bad person on his rise to power. But you're right, for all we know there's limited water and Morton Joe is doling it out as best he could. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> um all right, we've all right, we talked about gripes. The action the action sequences were definitely incredible. It was Yeah. And especially I mean I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the early Mad Max movies and all the stunt driving they do there, but it's like he far surpasses anything he did in any of those movies with the sequences in this one. The stunts, effects, sequences are all great, and we talk. it's a movie that starts off big and it keeps escalating, and it sounds... If you haven't seen it and you're like 30 minutes in, you're going to be like, there's no way this can keep escalating. Yeah. But the movie, like to Seth's point, they ride into a massive storm in the first 30 to 45 minutes, and it's awesome. And that's just like the appetizer to another right. hour and a half. I, I actually have action. a question for you, Jake. Um, Hit me. How, how, do you, how do you feel about the – I think his name is the Doof Warrior, the guy who plays the guitar for Martin Joe's uh, army. <laughs> I actually love him. I think it was the coolest <laughs> aspect – and I saw it with some buddies uh, who, you know, I think it was Weinstein and Kavino, and they're like, that was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, no, that would make sense. It's like a drummer. Like, that, that it would make sense that that would be an important part of that army. Like, you're trying to, like, I think it's sort, of, it's sort of, to me, it's like, it's one of the, it's like, he represents everything about the movie that's good and bad, like, in one kind of, like, icon. It's like, it is this intent. It's so intense. We got a flamethrowing electric guitar, like, leading us on our way to battle. But it's also like this. That's the dorkiest thing I've ever heard of. Kinda. It was stupid. It was kind of yeah. It was right. It was the perfect. It was like right on the border of camp and cool, in my opinion. Well, it's. I thought like I do think it was cool because it's like it, it played into that whole the idea of Valhalla and like you know having having drummers on a warship or something. And it's like that all made sense to me. That connection. And it's like oh, this is an update of like a Viking drum ship. That was how I kind of viewed it. Yeah, it was like the trumpeter, drummer boy, like probably right. more of that. Of that Yours is probably more astute. The one thing I just want to bring it back. You sure. mentioned it before. My question to you, Mad Max, I think he's better as a supporting character in his own movie or like a dual protagonist than an actual straight up protagonist. And I just I think, think of worked, Road Warrior well, like, film. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I want to agree with you. It, it's like, except that it's like, I still kind of think that the themes in the Road Warrior are a little bit better. Um, like, I wonder if he could have been, a, if Thunderdome was like about Tina Turner, and then Max was a supporting character. Do you think that would have worked better? Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't really love that movie. I think that, I, <laughs> I think they would have, I think they should have spent a little more time in Thunderdome and had the, like, Switch yeah, the switch the amount of time they spend in Thunderdome versus out, and I think that movie does a little better. Is I love everything in Thunderdome. I hate everything outside of Thunderdome in that movie. It's just weird. It's just weird. That, but I hear what you say. I do th- like. I think he works as a side character, but it's like I think I'm like personally, I have a connection with him, and so it's like I just want him to be my primary character. But I think that's a me problem. <laughs> that is a you problem. <laughs> All right. Bef- okay. This is the last thing we're going to do before final scores. The Brides. The Brides. Okay. The Brides. That's the only... We haven't talked about them. They're a huge part of the movie. They're... Right. Furiosa rescues. Mad Max helps save. Morton Joe's chasing. Right. Uh, they are... Basically, the most valuable commodities in the whole wasteland are fertile women. 
and it's Rosie Huntington Whiteley, Riley Keough, Zoe Kravitz, Courtney Eaton, and Abby Lee. Yes, Abby Lee. Uh, One of the things I picked up about the brides on this watch, I didn't know the last time, was that one of them kind of really wants to go back to a Morton Joe and thinks they've like made the wrong decision. And I was like, oh, that's like they could have gone a little deeper with that. We'll talk about like another series. Like you can do a whole episode. She could be a whole subplot, like trying to lead them back. Maybe she's leaving a trail. Um, Yeah. No, no. I think that I like them. I think we could use more of them, especially like later on. Like especially Zoe Kravitz and Riley Keough. They've gone on to do pretty big things and prove themselves as really talented. Not no offense to the other actresses. They're great too. But just looking at this movie and I love the action, but maybe you make really, it 10 minutes longer and give them some dialogue or like their own subplot. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I did really like how Miller used them visually where it's like the first 30 minutes of the movie, all you're seeing is sand and rust and cars and people getting beat up and Mad Max with a face mask. And then all of a sudden you see these beautiful pregnant women in the, like these, you know, soft skin, no, no tan, you know, it's just the striking, the strikingness of the visual after the car chase was just really well done. I thought, well, there's a very, I like that you said that. And now that you're saying that makes, they really differentiate the men from the women in a very like visceral, vivid way, especially in a Morton Joe's world. It's like, yeah, they're, they're like it almost seems like two different species. Almost, it's like they're very different. Like the men are either well, it's like you painted. do have Charlize Theron, who's like a little more rugged, and then you have the old craggly women. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe that didn't come across. Craggle well. like, that. <laughs> no, that's yeah. that's accurate. They look their skin looks dry and craggly. But it's there. like it's like that's a different. It, it's clear that most of the females out there probably are barren and uh, you know can't have kids, and so it's just like. The, the striking visualness of like seeing these young women who are pregnant is uh, it was just well done. Yeah, but you're right. I think ten more minutes with them kind of being a little more developed might have helped. Just the, there was clearly tensions and politics within the five of them alone, and I'm not saying I don't want to see what happens before. I think it's really cool how they pick it up after they've already been released. Yeah, but to your point, like maybe just one night when Joe and Furiosa, not Joe, Furiosa and Mad Max are sleeping and it's like them debating what to do. Maybe they want to live. I'm sorry. I always do this. I'm not rewriting it. Th- that's just something that I'm sorry. I am. I don't mean to, I think no, there's just some things they could have I do really, Yeah. Like uh, to your point, I like that the way the movie starts when Charlize Theron turns her vehicle, you don't know what's happening. You're just like, Oh, she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing. And it's like, as the viewer, I think it's really effective to just be like, you thought it was a normal car ride. Now we're all of a sudden we're in a car chase. And it's like, you don't really understand the reasons till, till you see these women get out of the car. Well, so what's funny is one of the things that the movie does is, and as far as I can tell, they never say this in the film, that she was one of a Morton Joe's ex-wives or a former, like a infertile bride. They infer it, but they never actually say it. But you, you don't need to know that for it to work. But people generally know that because they, they made a job, like a note of promoting that. The reason I bring that up is Prometheus. Other films have tried to do this where something that's not in the film, but like in yeah. notes or in background stuff that they released with some other medium. And they're like, oh, well, it's there. This like, really no. works well in this film because it's one thing that like it fills in a blank, but you don't need to know that. Like the movie works on its own just as like this is a woman in this time. that's clearly not kind to of women. Was trying to help this other woman. You can read it on a very basic level like that, 
but at the but then knowing the backstory helps. It's resonant and it works and it makes sense. And yeah. it's it's just simple enough where it's like whether it's in the story or not. I think you can see it and hear it later, and it makes sense. I guess where I'm going with this is he does a really good job of what you leave in, what you leave out, what's inferred, what's not. In this film, it's long. There's a lot of stuff that's inferred, but I felt like I picked up a lot on a lot of it the first time. I understand why people might not have, but for me, it's why I really like the movie. And the reason I'm doing going over through all this is just saying that I really I'm, I scored it pretty highly. So that's just a preface for that. I really no, like it. Actually, I was I surprised that I scored. Um, should we get into final scores? I guess. Yeah. Um, you want me to go first? Sure. So for me. I'm coming in high at this. I might change it later, as I always say, but I'm coming in at 8 8. Oof. I nice. remember liking it in theaters, and it was one of those films that I saw, ended up seeing multiple times. And because just the action, it was like such like a fun, it was like an event. It was a movie event. You went in, and like people were laughing and like having reactions to the movie. And it was just so much fun to watch. And really, the last hour, hour and a half is nonstop action. Like reading the, excuse me, reading the production notes or the Wikipedia notes, he talked about how he wanted to be one big chase movie. And the first hour is a more traditional movie. There's chase sequences, but the last half, two thirds is really one long chase. And it's just so much fun. And the more I talk about it, the more I think it, it's one of those films that it's straightforward and simple and it's so easy to rewatch, and it's so fun. I feel very good with like a eight eight. It might it might end up higher. I just really like the film. I think the performances are really good. And as I talked about, it's one of those films that works really well on a simple level as an actioner. You can just take it as it is, and on rewatch, it works great because you can just enjoy it for the action, or you can look at those deeper levels and meanings. And I think take away maybe not something new every time but a little deeper meaning in certain interactions or characters. So 8-8, eight, eight, it was initially a little higher. I'm, do- I'm docking it a little bit now that we're just just realizing I, I think the story could have been d- spread out a little more, especially at least with Max and his interaction with the people he was saving or amongst the wives themselves. But that sounds like a, a critique, and it shouldn't. I really like the film 8-8. Eight, eight. Coming in hey. strong at 8-8. Um. So I, feel, I think Hardy, Theron, and Holt, I think all three of them are good. Not great, but I think Theron's the best of the three. But I think the acting for like an action movie is pretty good. I think the directing is great. I think directing-wise, the action sequences and the world-building that Miller's doing is like probably the best job he's ever done. And then... Um, I Yeah, I... I, there's like there's some minor gripes I would have with it, but it's nothing that I would say that I would like dock it too much. It's like I don't really like the like craggly woman society, and I don't totally love the ending. I don't. I'm not in love with the way they wrote Max's character. I guess even though it's mostly about Theron, so he he works better as his supporting character. Um, I think I'm gonna give it like an eight point five because I think you can watch it as just like popcorn action and really enjoy yourself. But like we said, if you sit down and analyze it and really get into the world and everything, it's a deep movie and it's layered and it says a lot about society. Okay. Love your score. Fun fact. Just learned one of the reasons that it's not, the sequel hasn't been made yet. Pay dispute between Miller and the studio. Oh, wow. Well, 
Can I just say, is there a dumber reason? Warner Brothers. I mean, it seems if they make it, it's going to make a lot of money. That's all I can tell you, whether it's good or bad. Well, that's why, and I guess you could say this to both of them, whatever the dispute is, if you stand to make another 50 to 100 million each, is the dispute feel, bigger yeah. than that? Like, it, it, it felt like when this came out, that everyone loved it and there was green lights and everyone was making money. It's surprising to me that it stalled uh, to get the sequel off the ground. Yeah. I mean, what do I know, Seth? What do we know? But yeah, it, know. it seems like a I enjoyed it. So George Miller, I hope you take some money and make your movie. All right. All right. We got eight, 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 five, both in the same ballpark again. Yeah. I feel good. I, I, I like the movie. I, I think it's, Although I will say this, one thing about Tom Hardy, after seeing this, we kind of talked about it in some other pods, I was expecting a couple more blockbusters, and yeah, he's been in, uh, he was in the Nolan movie, I'm blinking, but the World War II Nolan movie, he was in, oh, he was Dunkirk. In, yeah, he was in Dunkirk, he was in Venom, but to your point, he, he keeps hiding his face, he hasn't really become the movie star I thought he would be at this point, especially in 2015 after Inception and this movie, and I know I'm blinking on other films, but... I feel like he should be, without being too critical, I, f- I feel like he'd be a bigger star than he is. I feel like he's, I don't want to say plateaued, but he, I don't think he's really hit the heights since, I mean, this I film, Batman and uh, Inception. Like, I, I, that's, I, that was the most movie star he was, I think. I agree. I think, we, I think the, the movie I like him in the most, I think, is The Revenant. Um, but, yeah, it's like, I think he... He was on a certain track, it seemed like, to be an extremely big star. But uh, his whole face covering series is very odd to me. I don't know what that's all about. But I do. I, for the most part, I think he's a good actor. And um, I just hope I can see his face more. <laughs> you and me both. You and me all both. Right. Right. 8.5 from me, 8.8 from Jake. Hey, that's the, way, that's the way the cookies crumble. There you go. Good movie. Put it on your docket. I do recommend it. Highly recommend it. All right. Seth, do you want to say anything to the people? Goodbye, people. All right. Bye, people.